I'm a narrow cat, no wide flows. African descent, that's why I got the wide nose. With my kinky hair and black skin, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's in the image of a god that is beautiful and whose infinite word is immutable. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of HBCU, where we are healing brown communities unconditionally. You are here with your host, Akima. You can follow me on all social media platforms at Princess Akima. And I'm Macau, and you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Macau Halim underscore wellness. That is M-I-K-A-L-H-A-L-I-M, one word, underscore wellness. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for um, listening to the podcast. We're so super excited to have you all here. Please make sure you follow us um, at Dive Media on all the platforms available for your podcast and also check out the other podcasts we're ex- Mikhail and I are both excited that you are listening to our podcast but this platform has so many additional ones and we surely would like for um, you to support the ones that are of interest to you so with that said we are excited as we are every time we do a podcast always, just, always excited always excited yeah we're just some excited people here at HBCU and so today um Hopefully this resonates with some of you all because like we're going to be talking about acts of service. If you have never heard the term acts of service, don't worry about it. We're going to talk through it today and we're going to hopefully you'll be able to walk away um, and utilize this with with yourself and with those who are in your lives. So I just want to kind of kick off the conversation giving a shout out to or reference to where I first heard the term acts of service. So there's a really good book that I probably read, I don't know, some 15 years ago before I got married um, called um, The Five Love Languages. And it's by an author, Dr. Gary Chapman. And I was really excited to read the book at the time, but I can say that now having been uh, married for as long as I've been married, I'm actually uh, grateful that I read that book because what it does is it talks about five different ways that individuals um, receive love. And it's not about how you give love or what you want. It's really about how do other people receive love. Now, I think it's important that we know how we receive love. But one of the five that um, Dr. Chapman goes over is acts of service. And this is literally having things done for you by another individual. And of course, in this situation, it can be by an individual that you have a romantic or an intimate relationship with. But truth be told, I can show acts of service to my friends. I can show acts of service to my coworkers. I can do things for other people. And honestly, if you're in a close uh, proximity to someone, and it could, I'm, I'm just going to use the coworker one for an example because you don't have the intimacy there. Um, I mean, you might have the intimacy there. So le- let me... <laughs> 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 Let's just say that you're not intimate <laughs> with your coworker. I don't know what y'all out there doing, okay? Um, you could still show them... Um, and I'm saying love, y'all. So don't get all like, oh, mushy-gushy with love because... When I'm able to do something for another individual that's going to make them shine, make them blossom, make them feel good, I'm going to make myself available to do that, especially for people that I'm going to see on a regular basis. Um, so, Mikhail, in, in your opinion, what is service or what is an act of service? Uh, when I think of acts of service, I am, the word selfless comes to mind. That's good. Um, I know for me, if I am, um, I don't want to say out in the street, like I'm just randomly walking, but just out in the community, and I find a need, um, there's another, another term, you know, it's problem solving. Problem solving is another term that comes to mind. So if you merge the selfless nature of, of who you are with identifying a problem, 
um, I find that you're going to be in a position to provide services to individuals, whether they're communities. Um, you know, later on, we're going to go over talking about acts of service towards self and, um, you know, being able to sustain, being able to sustain yourself, sustain others. But in order to even be in that space, um, you've got to put yourself you know, and the needs of your, your own nature to the side in order to, um, a word that is used in uh, special education is empathize because they want us as educators to not necessarily go through what our students have gone through or experiences that they're dealing with, but to just get on the, the same page as they are and understanding where they're coming from so that we can provide equity. Again, going into that problem solving, seeing where a service is needed and being able to, to fill in that gap as we are able. That's really good that you say that. I'm actually, um, I was thinking about the motivation behind serving, right? Because I think that we would probably have a few listeners who would say, hey, I do that in my profession. And I'm wondering like, well, can a person successfully do that in their profession if they are in fact serving but they also are being paid for it or does it have to be tied to i know you mentioned community work which doesn't necessarily have a paycheck tied to it and i'll share my opinion i think it can be both because i think you can have a heart for what you're doing and if it can lead into something that is gainful employment i think that's a win-win and i think an individual shouldn't be viewed as well that's not really an act of service because you know you're being paid to do that thing and i'm like well i would hope that whenever you are um, out here, you know, toiling under the sun and using um, your time to make a means of uh, income that you can also find ways to implement acts of service, like how you mentioned in the school system. And I know for sure with my um, practice, I, I'm serving my clients all the time. How, however, they do pay for that time. So I just kind of, in my mind, I, I think I wanted to say that out loud. And so I was just, and if you have something there, um, I surely would like to hear it. But I also, wanted to throw in like what do you see as a benefit of um serving others like is it ben more beneficial to me is it more beneficial to that person how do you see that well i guess i'll merge your first point and that second point if i can because uh you know you and i are both uh black business owners so there comes a point where we put together a marketing plan and what we actually do whether it's a product, um, whether it's a um, service, um, you know, you do reflexology and things of that nature. And um, going back into the touch that we touched on a couple episodes ago, and I do CMOS I, and those kind of products, so on and so forth. <laughs> um, but my point of me saying that is we do accept compensation for the services that we provide. And the reason why I wanted to touch on that is because I think it's very important that we understand the economic value of ourselves. And uh, I'm not going to go all the way into self-care now, but um, economics as defined in the United Compensatory Code System concept, which is a textbook and workbook by author, author Neely Fuller Jr., if anybody ever wanted to check that out. But he y'all defines... better check that. Y'all better check that author out. Y'all know McCall gonna keep plugging, and you know it's good. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'm on. always gonna plug Neely Fuller, man. Um, but that book that he has, I think it goes over some um, critical definitions that will help us understand conversations like this, where we are trying to figure out um, what service is and and what our role is in the community. 
but going back into economics, um, he defines economics as one's use of time and energy. So, you know, it came if people such as ourselves are spending a lot of actual time and just think about the research that goes into your practice and how much time it takes to understand and how much money y'all how much money it took this is <laughs> exactly exactly you know and you know i don't have a holistic nutrition practice such as akima but um when it comes to researching you know skincare there's still an element of skincare to to the sea moss and to making soap products and all these kind of things so um not to deviate too far from the point here. No, I don't think but. this deviates at all because as you're talking, I'm thinking about also um, customer service. So we're talking about acts of service. And one complaint that I hear a lot, um, I'm just going to put it out there because y'all talking about it anyway. And they're like, well, I wonder if they can talk about these businesses and the lack of service there. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about customer service. And then specifically, as we talk about our communities and our ability or the inability to provide um, what an individual would view as quality service. And I'm not about, maybe we'll do another episode where we go into well, what is good service and what is bad service. But the idea of being able to serve another human being, compensation or not, what is, um, I guess that would be a really good thing. And what would prohibit an individual to be able to service another person, whether that's in the confines of in your business or in your marriage, in your relationships, like what prohibits us from being able to serve another person? And I know I threw that out there and customer service and, you know, y'all, we're going to get through all the things, but it's like that, that word service, it translates in so many different facets of our life. And we don't even realize like just how intertwined services and honestly how much our experiences, our trauma, all those things play on our ability to serve or not to serve another person. And that goes into, uh, I've been, <laughs> I've been touching on it like briefly throughout every comment saying, well, self-care, self-care, self-care. So, you know, now we're at that point. Well, are we able to serve others? And that's another point that's brought up uh, by Neely Fuller and um, responsibility to self. What does that mean? because I cannot help someone if I am unable to help. And the analogy that I want to kind of throw in here, you know, anyone who's been on an airplane before takeoff and you're sitting on the, on the runway, um, you know, the stewardess comes in, they kind of position themselves throughout the aisle and, you know, an announcement comes on the overhead and they say, you know, buckle your seatbelt and they hold up the seatbelt, so on and so forth. But I find that one of the most um, constructive instructions so to speak that i know give. what he's about to say y'all but i'm gonna let him say it. I gonna, I and i love it and it's like even if i'm sitting there with my music on like i'm corny sometimes i'm, I'm a nerd and i'm corny and I, I like my little kid comes out and i want to hear them say it because it just excites me but i love it because i think it's one of the most accountable things that they can instruct people to do in case of an emergency and so they say if the oxygen max come down and you know God forbid you're in a situation where there's water and all that kind of chaos is going on. The first instruction, which is critical to self-service and self-care, and ultimately, because I'm going somewhere with this, and ultimately being able to provide service to another, you must be in position to help yourself first. So when that oxygen max comes down, the instruction is to secure your oxygen mask first. And why? For a very logical reason. Because if you are unable to breathe in that circumstance, 
how in the world are you going to be able to help somebody else secure their oxygen mask? Absolutely. Uh, and, I, and I knew what he was going to say. I didn't, I didn't want to take um, still his shine, um, but he because he deserved that. And, and as someone who doesn't have children, a lot of times they direct that um, those instructions towards parents like parents, please, you know, take care of your mask first, then secure your child's. But I think if we're going back to the whole conversation about customer service and serving another individual, or even if you're going to find yourself, you know, getting into, uh, I want to do work in my community, I want to do this, I, I want to do that kind of job. But like, do you understand one what it takes, and what is going to be required of you? And have you done the work first? And that's what I'm hearing Mikhail saying, like, have you done the work to pursue out your own healing and your own home? this and your own repair because it's like one trigger and I'm gonna set this whole thing off an example I'm thinking about and shout out to anybody who used to work with me at this particular agency I'm not going to put the agency out there but I used to manage group homes back in the day um, when I first came out of uh, college and um, I managed group homes for teenagers and if you've never worked with teenagers before like it is not for the faint at heart, but my personality, I love it. I love it. And I think even today, if I was given an opportunity, like give me teenagers because it's a rough season in life to go through. And it's compounded, of course, because I was working with obviously tons of brown and black children and they were having a really, really tough just life. And so when we would hire the staff who worked in those particular um, homes and programs, we wouldn't ask typical questions like, well, what are your three top qualities that your last employer would say? Not <laughs> that, okay? What is going to make you wanna flip off on a child? Can you handle being spat on? Can you handle if they uh, slam a door and it like hits your knee or hits your foot? What are you gonna do if this child grabs a knife? Is that gonna, do you have trauma or violence? Like, and it would be really, looking at the body language, looking at, listening to the words. And some of them would look at me like I was crazy, like spat on. What if they make a comment about how fat your stomach is or how ugly they think your hair is or just anything you can think of. And they were like, wow, I didn't realize that this was this interview was going to be. And I'm like, hey, you have to know your own triggers. Are those things still bothering you? And am I going to be able to serve these children in this program who when they're at the height of being off of their base, going, they're going to pull everything under the sun. And the moment they find the thing that they can just tap dance with you, they're going to do it. So you had to have control over your own emotions, I believe, um, having a lot, a lot, a lot of control. And so when I think about, again, so that's a really challenging one, but I kind of went all the way there because I think sometimes when people get into situations where like, like we want to serve, like we're forced, can I say, we're forced to serve in a lot of environments, be it in your family situation, um, in your uh, personal and intimate relationships, you know, there's an expectation to serve in one way or another, right? But when we think about um, the things that I choose, I think what McCall is saying is super important that you got to like check yourself. And it's okay if the thing you think you want to do that you're actually not ready to do at this point, because you can um, be repaired from whatever has happened to you. And I'm just a believer of that because I think about all the things and all the traumas that I've personally been through. And I think an individual can heal, but I think it's important to check that first, work on that first before you go into, um, before you go into serving, because truth be told y'all service sounds real glamorous, right? And acts of service, but you have to be quite humble to serve another person, another human being. And it makes you quite vulnerable, um, in my opinion, to, um, to serve another person. 
And Akeem, I just wanted to jump back into one of your last talking points in the education field, because I too have that experience um, working with populations of youth who are um, products of their environment, so to speak. And um, I'll go ahead and just say it flat out, you know, products of systemic white supremacy and uh, systemic oppression. And I'm going to push the envelope a little bit because um, there's been an influx in the last 15 years of white educators coming from other parts of the country, parts of the United States, you know, and they go to their predominantly white institutions or PWIs, as most people refer to them as. And, you know, at some point they decide that they oh, want to... They don't go to, to an HBCU? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unless I missed something in the past. <laughs> unless I missed something. But, you know, and they go to PWIs, and a lot of those uh, PWIs grant them teaching certifications, you know, as a part of their graduation uh, requirements. And, you know, it almost seems like, and I don't want to speculate or, you know, throw any conspiracies out there, but as an educator, in my experience, um, I work in the inner cities, just for those of you all who are listening and don't know my background, I work in inner city schools in um, all four quadrants of, of Washington, D.C., and um, there's been an influx since I would say uh, 2007 of white educators um, who are not from Washington, D.C., Maryland, or Virginia who come into uh, black neighborhoods and lower income neighborhoods to start to quote unquote network and to incorporate themselves in the education system where you find um, low income black and brown children. And um, it makes me wonder you know, Akeem, you had brought up a point when one of those educators encounters uh, a child who's been through a lot of trauma yeah. and who are, you know, very overtly responsive, whether that's an emotional disability, an intellectual disability, or however that is manifest and affected that child's mind in the way that they respond to humans, stimulus, and things of that nature. But how are those who are unfamiliar with our community going to respond. And the reason I even brought that up at my last position, um, which was a testing coordinator um, here in Lanham in Prince George's County, I was brought in on the, the interview team. For those of you all who don't know, Lanham is a city in Maryland. You got my call. Everybody's not from the area. So you're going to have to, um, you know, we, we, we're, uh, we're worldwide my apologies. here. <laughs> my apologies, people. I'm talking about, uh, yeah, I work in the DMV. And um, so um I, like Again, without going back into that, I've worked in um, several schools where I've had a, a chance to interview prospective employers. And that's one of the questions I ask Akima intently, you know, um, and let's not try to discriminate or to be exercising any personal prejudice. But I do need to know when a white educator comes into that environment, you know, if one of these uh, students, you know, lashes out or shows you an unfamiliar response and it fits some kind of stigma that's been promoted through the media. Um, if it meets some kind of prejudged, which is what a prejudice is, prejudged expectation of what you think black boys or black, little black girls are supposed to do in certain situations, you know, what are you going to do? And um, how is that going to affect moving forward your service within that community? Yeah, so what I'm, what I'm thinking and listening to you talk is like, we have to be prepared. Like this is all preparation because I'm not going to say that an individual who does not look like 
these children, could not serve these children. But I think it's naive and foolish if you just jump into that. So you're trying to tell me like a fresh graduate who's gone to a PWI coming into a school that is predominantly, you know, black and brown. I think that they're going to struggle, period. I don't, I don't care I agree. how intelligent they are. Um, the same way I'm, I, I might struggle in a <laughs> not so black and brown school. But that's transparent, though. Okay? That's transparent. <laughs> if we go to Bethesda or um, what's the name of that? Chevy Chase. Oh, which God. is that's like a really affluent neighborhood in Montgomery County, Maryland, for everybody listening. And, um, you know, it's that kind of other side of the tracks <laughs> for yeah. the lower income people in, in the, you know, the area that we refer to as the DMV, which is the greater Washington metropolitan area here. But um, if I went and just worked at some school in that neighborhood, I would have to have an adjustment period or Matter of fact, let me take you a little bit further. As Fred Hampton would say, I need to be educated with what's going on in that community to even know how I can be utilized to serve those people or else, you know, where am I getting, like you were saying earlier in the show, what is the foundational piece in the core of my understanding of what my service is? Yeah, our core and then the motivation for it because like, you know, am I going somewhere or am I being sent somewhere? And I see a benefit and a blessing when we're sent into different environments, different workforces, different group homes, different nursing facilities, like wherever you feel like you want to serve, because we're definitely, um, and I'm going to, as Mikhail normally puts words in my mouth, I'm going to put a words into Mikhail's <laughs> mouth and say, he doesn't like to admit it, I'm just going to admit it and speak for him right now to say that we are encouraging acts of service. So we are not discouraging it, but what we want everyone to do, and even we're speaking to ourselves, is take it a step further, knowing that like, do I have the capacity right now to serve the populations and the persons that I'm wanting to make myself available for? And am I willing to do the work to, um, to get there? And one of the things that I was thinking about um, as we were getting prepared for this topic was the idea, you know, people will say things like, you know, hurt people, hurt people, right? And so I'm like, well, if hurt people and wounded people hurt people, if I'm serving someone from a place of wholeness and fullness, like what benefit is that going to be to those people? And so again, can I don't know if we even have the ability to live like prejudice free or bias free I just I don't think that that's real and so I don't I don't want to like fake the funk and be like oh I think we could just be perfect but I do believe that I can open up my capacity and that'll make me um it'll make me more available to those who I want to serve I kind of want to come off of the um occupational side of service talk a little bit more of other ways in our lives in which we serve people some other examples of them and I mean y'all listen there are some positive and negative examples of um of service now before we fully segue out of occupational service as someone who prior to opening up my um holistic health practice I worked in mid-level management for over a decade. Every job I had from the group homes, I've managed restaurants, I've worked on government contracts, I've always been a manager. And when you rule for the benefit of those who you are over, I think that is a beautiful opportunity for acts of service. And so all of my superiors, all of my bosses, they all know that like I, would, I went to bat for my employees, but I also had high expectations of them as well. And I think in you know, really laying your life down for another person, you really have a beautiful opportunity in front of you. Um, and I believe there was a term um, before Mikhail that you were 
maybe alluding to um, about around leadership um, and around servant leadership, if you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Servant leadership is, um, I have had an opportunity to go heavy into the studies of a gentleman named Robert K. Greenleaf. And I'm going to go ahead and tie his work because I, I like where he was coming from, but I'm just going to go ahead and extend it further back to um, Neely Fuller Jr. and make this relevant to healing, you know, something today. What, what, what are some things that we can look at today? And when we walk out, well, I'm sorry, when we walk outside or um, in a quarantine situation, you know, there's, there's a lot of confusion going on. People don't know where they can help, what the rules are, so on and so forth. Um, but Neely Fuller, once again, said something interesting. In a pandemic, it is our jobs. And that's why I was so um, intent on going into that analogy of, of being able and being able to have that proverbial oxygen mask on your face. Because in a time like this, you want to go out and provide the most constructive help to those who need the most help. And, um, you know, there's opportunities, look for opportunities to volunteer. Um, again, there's so many guidelines and things that will, uh, that can deter us, but you just want to kind of be intent. Like Akima said, um, if you've got the heart and you've got the motivation to, to find populations of people, children, elderly, so on and so forth, to provide service, um, especially in a pandemic when something like this has a lot of people confused and uh, wondering where resources and services are coming from. Um, but you want to make sure that you're trying your best to reach out to those who need the most constructive help. Yeah, and I think we would be remiss um, because I think one of, if not the greatest examples of service can definitely be found in the Bible. And listen, y'all, if y'all listening, everybody, you know, do your thing, believe what you believe. But some of these words, and I'm going to read maybe two or three of these. Um, this first one, I'm just, I want to read. It says, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, people reword these things to take credit away from the Bible, whatever. Do your thing, y'all. Just know that that's straight out of the Bible, out of the book of Acts. Again, Galatians. For you who were called to freedom, brothers, only not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Um, and then the last one I'll read here is out of First Peter. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's grace. And so all of those resonate with me and all of those are motivations for me to help my communities. I think what we need to do as we are accessing, um, you know, really wisdom, I think that is like the resonating um, feel for all the things that um, Macau brought up today, the things that I hopefully, it's hopefully what I brought up. I definitely know it's what Macau brought up and it might be in what I brought up and that when we're looking to serve and to take care of another person, you know, we have to continue to add faith, add wisdom. You're continuing to build upon this thing because it makes you a better um, conduit to be able to service another person not just like this blind like yeah i'm going to go serve from this emptiness i'm going to go serve from this kind of nothingness and then they're um you're actually not giving the, these people or this person the best you and i think it's defeating whatever you have um you know what you were attempt attempting to do so i wanted to share those i don't know Macau, if you had anything in closing that you wanted to share related to acts of service 
Well, I'll go ahead and stay kind of on that biblical uh, frame. Hey, I can stay there. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite stories um, as a black man, because I think a lot of our healing regarding acts of service is in relationship to our protection of black women. And um, I find that that story where you had the woman who committed adultery in the New Testament and, um, you know, they wanted to hold trial and literally stone her in the middle of the street. And, you know, you had Jesus come in and step forward and he knelt down and he doodled in the sand and, you know, he stood back up and he looked at them. He said, okay, well, this is how we're going to do this. Look, y'all. Right. <laughs> he gave him a, Let, me, gave him a look, let me run that real quick. Let's run that real quick. <laughs> this, is what we, this is what we're going to do here. And he said, you know, let he who is among you without sin cast the first stone. And yeah. I think, you know, just theoretically as men, we could, Take, pull from that example and look towards protection of our women on this planet. Absolutely. And I think that that's necessary. And as a woman, I thank you for bringing that up. And I actually think that on that note, ladies, I got you. Yep. We're going to end it right there on that note. So um, remember y'all HBCU, we're here talking about all the things because our goal is that everyone, including ourselves, that we are reaching to our highest potential. Um, McCall and I both thank you for listening in today. Until next time, peace y'all. Peace and love. Not doing this here to a soldier. Want you to see he's a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at Babel. Now live inside of me. I did this song here to invoke you all to see that he is a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at Babel. Now live inside of me. Not doing this here to a soldier. Want you to see he's a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at Babel. Now live inside of me. I did this song here to invoke you all to see that he is a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at Babel. Now live inside of me.